I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which from personal experience I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often. So stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. Good morning, Procoptons. Today is a special day. Today, we introduce Seneca, perhaps the second best-known Stoic writer next to Marcus Aurelius, and certainly the one with the largest body of surviving work in the Stoic tradition. We've spent a year with Marcus, and we'll continue to share him on Mondays, but you've been doing this long enough, you've learned enough to expand your knowledge and familiarity of authors beyond just Mr. Marcus. Move over, Marcus baby. There's a new sheriff in town. We are going to work through Seneca's infamous letters, his epistles, to Lucilius or to Lucilius. I think no matter which way you choose to pronounce it, we all know who you're talking about. I say Lucilius. With Seneca, we cannot take all of his letters because, for one, all of his letters are long. These aren't meditations. Their letters, and for two, some of them are incredibly boring, to put it bluntly. That doesn't mean they aren't worth reading on your own, but for the purposes of this podcast, where part of my job is to make points out of the texts and boil them down to what is useful for you, there are some I'm just going to skip. In total, there are 124 epistles or letters, but most of the books you'll pick up entitled Letters from a Stoic or Seneca's Letters, are going to deal with a small subset of those letters. If you want an unabridged version, you can look for Margaret Graver's version, but we're probably going to work through 50 or 60 letters in total. Now don't get bummed out, that's still a year's worth of Seneca's work since we're only doing one a week, but there will be a cap on his letters. This also doesn't include his other works which Eric is working to compile now and which we will also cover from time to time. Lastly, these letters need not be read in order, and they won't be. But I will always provide the letter that we're reading from so you can go and read it on your own. At the bottom of the show notes of every episode which features one of Seneca's letters, there will be a link to a free online source, and that's the source I'm reading from. I personally own Graver's unabridged version of the epistles, and I would insist that if you're going to spend money on a book of Seneca's letters, you get an unabridged version, and specifically Graver's, because in my opinion, it's simply the best and most complete. So with that, 
let's get to the first letter, which in this case will actually be the first letter because I like to start things at the beginning. This letter is entitled On Saving Time, and it reads as follows. Continue to act thus, my dear Lucilius. Set yourself free for your own sake. Gather and save your time, which till lately has been forced from you, or filched away, or has merely slipped from your hands. Make yourself believe the truth of my words, that certain moments are torn from us, that some are gently removed, and that others glide beyond our reach. The most disgraceful kind of loss, however, is that due to carelessness. Furthermore, if you will pay close heed to the problem, you will find that the largest portion of our life passes while we are doing ill, a goodly share while we are doing nothing, and the whole while we are doing that which is not the purpose. What man can you show me who places any value on his time, who reckons the worth of each day, who understands that he is dying daily? For we are mistaken when we look forward to death. The major portion of death has already passed. Whatever years lie behind us are already in death's hands. Therefore, Lucilius, do as you write me that you are doing. Hold every hour in your grasp. Lay hold of today's task, and you will not need to depend so much upon tomorrow's. While we are postponing, life speeds by. Nothing, Lucilius, is ours except time. We were entrusted by nature with the ownership of this single thing, so fleeting and slippery that anyone who will can oust us from possession. What fools these mortals be! They allow the cheapest and most useless things, which can easily be replaced, to be charged in the reckoning after they have acquired them. But they never regard themselves as in debt when they have received some of that most precious commodity, time. And yet time is the one loan which even a grateful recipient cannot repay. And you may desire to know how I, who preach to you so freely, am practicing. I confess frankly, my expense account balances, as you would expect from one who is free-handed but careful. I cannot boast that I waste nothing, but I can at least tell you what I am wasting, and the cause and manner of that waste. I can give you the reasons why I am a poor man. My situation, however, is the same as that of many who are reduced to slender means through no fault of their own. Everyone forgives them, but no one comes to their rescue. What is the state of things, then? It is this. I do not regard a man as poor if the little which remains is enough for him. I advise you, however, to keep what is really yours. And you cannot begin too early, for as our ancestors believed, it is too late to spare when you reach the dregs of the cask. Of that which remains at the bottom, the amount is slight, and the quality is vile. This should give you an immediate sense of Seneca. He is incredibly straightforward, but nothing but eloquent with his words. He's a man who means business, in a way and seems to be quite stern at times. But over time, you will come to understand why he's such a well-regarded Stoic writer. He wasn't perfect. He had a lot of contradictions in his life. If you remember my conversation with James Rahm a few months ago, you'll know some of those contradictions, and there's no need to recount them here. Suffice to say, there were contradictions. 
But he wanted to be a great Stoic, a great philosopher. And I think he came close. Even if he didn't always embody his ideals, he knew when he was failing. In this letter, we're talking about death, which, of course, as we know from Marcus, is a common theme in many Stoic writings. But Seneca is far more prescriptive, I think, than Marcus ever was. And we get some great advice from him here. Rather, Lucilius does. The most disgraceful sort of loss is that due to carelessness. And why do you think he feels this way about lost time? Because our attitudes towards time, our thoughts and actions regarding it and within it, are within our control. And so, when we waste time due to carelessness, this is a choice we are making. Compare this to something like traffic. It's not our fault traffic is wasting our time, but when we lie in bed for four hours doom-scrolling TikTok, that is in our control. And when we're electively wasting our time, we're giving it away without any regard for its unknown total quantity, without any regard for its non-renewable nature. While we are postponing, life speeds by. We put off those things that are important, either to the cosmopolis or to ourselves, and we do so without considering that we are not promised the chance to return to it, to get back to actually paying attention to those important things someday. And then we lie on our deathbeds, angry, depressed, regretful, because we didn't do the thing or things we knew deep down in our hearts, or if you prefer, our souls, were important to us. We might postpone our attention, our duties, our aims in life, but when we do so, we are not placing a dam in the middle of the river of time, interrupting its flow or pausing it. We are doing something more like falling asleep in our canoe, waking months later to find that we are a little more dead than we were when we first fell asleep. What fools these mortals be! They allow the cheapest and most useless things, which can easily be replaced, to be charged in the reckoning after they have acquired them. But they never regard themselves as in debt when they have received some of that precious commodity, time. I bet this one hits home a bit. How many debts do you fret about? Here's an example. Uh Uh-oh. I've got to save X dollars this month in order to pay my Netflix bill or my account will get disconnected. But have you ever felt this urgency and concern to your life debt? You've been gifted, in a way, the most precious of all commodities. But do you approach your day? Do you approach the responsibility to do something in your waking hours with that commodity that really matters? With this same urgency or zeal? We care that our endless, mindless entertainment will be cut off. We care that we'll be seen as a deadbeat that doesn't pay their bills. But when have we ever felt this concerned about paying our debts to nature for its loan of life and time? Have we ever considered that this debt is a debt paid in doing kind and just things, in the development of virtue and a virtuous character? My situation, however, is the same as that of many who are reduced to slender means through no fault of their own. Everyone forgives them, but no one comes to their rescue. Here, I think Seneca means poor in his remaining time. He's not talking about financial wealth, as it was fairly well known that Seneca had plenty of money. That's one of the contradictions that I mentioned earlier. He's saying that people will pity what little time you have left, and they'll be too polite to blame you for it. But they can't do anything to fix what you've wasted. They can't give you more time. They can't teach you how to make the most out of what's left, either. This is on you. You are the only one to blame for this. 
You're the only one who can change it. The only one who can make whatever time you have left be wasted less frequently than what has been true of your waste in the past. For as our ancestors believed, it is too late to spare when you reach the dregs of the cask. Of that which remains at the bottom, the amount is slight, and the quality is vile. The original Latin here, and Seneca is writing in Latin, not Greek, is more like late thrift. If you're waiting until late in life to make changes, it is a stage of late thrift, and you will have less time with which to be thrifty. And the quality of that time, due to things like illness or age, will be lower in nature. Lucilius is young, presumably, and Seneca is pointing that out. Something interesting to keep in mind, though, is that we don't have any of Lucilius's letters to Seneca. Some people posit that this is because Lucilius wasn't a real person, or perhaps was a pen name or a cover name, or that the epistles were written with future distribution in mind, and that these letters are more like frame tales of a sort, so Seneca could more easily discuss things. So, if you're wondering, when going through the letters, why don't we have any of the letters he's responding to, that might be helpful. The answer could be because this is a frame tale-esque approach to writing on morality, or writing on philosophy, or writing on Stoicism, or because Seneca threw all those letters in the trash. That is also possible. But as a lover of mythology and literature myself, I rather like the former idea, that he's using the style of a frame tale to have these discussions, which would actually be interesting from a historical point because... I don't believe the concept of a frame tale was formalized until the 14th century, but that is probably a discussion for a different podcast and not this one. But how about this first Seneca episode? How do you feel? Perhaps you are excited to hear more from our man from Cordoba, which is where Seneca was born, by the way. And if you are, I'm glad, because Tuesdays are now dedicated to Seneca. And I hope you will return next Tuesday for another of his letters. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Practical Stoicism. I was happy to have you here. If you haven't reviewed this podcast yet, please consider doing so on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or Podchaser.com. If you're not part of our Discord community, go to stoicismpod.com forward slash Discord and join. It's free, and we'd all love to have you. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, take care. Take care.